You're listening to the Supertalk podcast, produced by the Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees, shaping profit to member super. Hello and welcome to the Supertalk podcast. Today we're looking at opportunities in agriculture investing with growing calls coming from the agriculture sector for greater superannuation investment to boost economic activity. It's a pretty important time to look at some of the opportunities. To help us, we have Martin Davies, CEO of Westchester. He'll provide a global overview of the Nuveen Westchester agriculture investment business. Uh, And rather interestingly, despite having offices in major cities around the world, Nuveen also places a lot of importance in regional offices. Here in Australia, the key regional city of Wagga Wagga plays host to a Nuveen office. We'll be hearing from Martin about the, uh, the strategic reasons behind that office. Importantly, Martin will also be addressing some of the perceived barriers to agriculture investment and how diversification is key to addressing risks. Yes, and with us today, Martin Davies, CEO and President of Westchester Group Investment Manager. Martin, welcome to you. Morning, Terrell. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, Thank you for accommodating the time difference. You are, of course, over in the UK. That's absolutely correct. I usually work out of the US, but uh, I've been in the UK for the last four months since I came back from Australia in in March. It's a very strange uh, time we, we exist in right now. It absolutely is. So would you uh, otherwise, outside of a global pandemic, currently be over in the US or is this just the, the UK thing was planned? No, so uh, I'm from the UK originally, uh, but I work out of our office in, in Chicago. So I spend most of my time um, in the US when I'm not traveling, but I do travel significantly because we invest uh, globally. So we have investments in seven countries. So I do spend a lot of time um within our businesses and looking at our investments and, and just round about the, the globe. Yeah. Do you want to start with a bit of an overview, I suppose, of the Westchester sort of Nuveen, uh, not necessarily relationship, but how, how that's all sort of structured? Yeah. So TIA's um, investment management platform um, is the Nuveen business and Westchester is one of the affiliates in the Nuveen investment management platform. There's 14 affiliates in total. Uh, Westchester was the first business that um, TIA acquired in 2010. And that platform has been built up really in the last 10 years by some organic growth, uh, but also one or two um, other acquisitions. So, um, for example, the real estate business is is a mixture of the historic TIA business and then the um, uh, uh, TH real estate or the originally what was the Henderson real estate business. So uh, Westchester was acquired in 2010, as I said, um, we're a business that originates from central Illinois. Um, Westchester started out in 1986. So we've been around quite a long time um, in the world of agricultural investing. Uh, we started out managing capital for uh, private investors in the Midwest. And since then really have built out a fairly substantial uh, business which really now focuses on managing um, institutional capital. Uh, today we manage capital for 26 uh, investors plus the TIA general account um, and that's in, in a mixture of uh, commingled funds and we do have a legacy 
uh, separate managed account for TIA, which we, we manage as well. So we manage about uh, 800,000 hectares, uh, so a shade over 2.2 million acres in those uh, seven countries. So the US, Brazil, Chile, uh, in Europe, in Poland and Romania, uh, and in New Zealand, and by last and no means least, Australia, where we have a pretty significant uh, footprint. So we almost have 800,000 acres uh, or 320,000 uh, hectares in Australia, which is spread across um, the whole of Australia. And that's a portfolio which has got a number of different structures that it's um, um, the investments are in, um, funds, um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, a separate managed account for TIAA. So uh, one of the things which uh, you'll note from all our investments is the diversification that we try and achieve. So that country diversification globally, um, and then also we try and diversify within a country. So in Australia, uh, we have investments in Western Australia, in Victoria, New South Wales, uh, and also in, in Queensland, but not just from a regional point of view. Um, we believe um, in diversification from a crop point of view. Uh, so globally, the land that we're managing um, is growing 43 different crop types today, um, and, and we don't have quite the same degree of um, diversification in Australia, as, as you might expect, but nevertheless, there is good diversification. And to us, that's one of the things that's fundamental in investment in the agricultural sector. Uh, it's primary production, so there are risks that are inherent in the, the industry, um, which we believe you put a hedge in your portfolio against those risks by uh, diversification. So there's a pretty fundamental thing for us. Fantastic. Thank you for such a, a big, uh, I suppose, global and also local overview for us. Speaking of local, uh, Nuveen has an office located in Wagga Wagga. Firstly, uh, a hello to anyone in Wagga Wagga. Secondly, do you want to explain a little about the story of why that, that office is there and not perhaps as what would probably be uh, more commonly based in either Sydney or Melbourne? Yeah, so the, the fact that we have an office in, in Wagga, that's representative of the whole of the Westchester business. And I would say that one of our points of difference is that we have 125 people that work for the business. And most of those people are located in the rural areas where we're making investments. Uh, so agriculture is a very local business. 85% of agriculture globally is in the hands of privately operated family type farming businesses. Uh, and the only way that we can invest in quality farmland is by having people in the locations where we're investing who are networked and connected with that, um, that farmer um, base. Uh, so Wagga um, is, is a really good place for us to be located. It's got pretty reasonable uh, links from a travel point of view, but we have a lot of investments uh, which are within driving distance of, of, of Wagga. So it's important to us to have people on the ground in close proximity to the investments who are embedded in um, those local communities. So if I think about other places globally, um, so if you think about California, we have an office in Fresno in, in the heart of the Central Valley of California. The simple reason why our office is there is because we have 
a lot of investment in permanent crops, so tree nuts uh, in particular, uh, very close to our, our office in, in Fresno. So we, we just have very good knowledge of what's happening locally as a result of that, that footprint. And, and that's the same everywhere. It's, it is impossible to uh, make a good job of, of investing in agriculture or farmland from an ivory tower in, in a city somewhere. That's not to say that we don't have some back office functions, uh, which, are, which are in some of the larger locations. And of course, the Wiley New Dean business has um, offices in Sydney, in um, London, New York, um, Chicago, etc. But that, that's really a, a key part of our business. So I suppose looking through to the agriculture as an asset here in Australia, uh, we had the inquiry into superannuation or rather barriers to superannuation investment in agriculture. Uh, One of the regulators claimed that agriculture was uh, very high risk. Now that was claimed in uh, some website communications in regards to agriculture. Is, is Is that the case? I mean, that was quite quite eyebrow raising yeah so the the, the supercharging australian agriculture report which i think you're um referencing um the australian securities and investment commission um hardly gave agriculture a very good blessing from a risk point of view they talked about crops failing um loss of value so commodity price volatility um the lack of liquidity in the marketplace so to be fair, those are all considerations. But if you go back to the, the point I made at the outset there, Terrell, about diversification, agriculture, it's primary production. So, of course, you're going to be at the vagaries of the weather. You're growing crops which have volatility in pricing. Um, you're also exposed to government intervention and regulation. So um, quite fresh in the minds of Australian farmers who grow barley is the um, in position of a, an 80% tariff by the Chinese government. Uh, so those are all things that you deal with. Now, of course, that's not to say that other business activity, if you invest in real estate or you invest in timber or if you invest in infrastructure, that um, there are not similar risks, but agriculture is primary production. Uh, so there are risks inherent in the, in, in the sector. Now, if you diversify your investments and you're very thoughtful about the way in which you invest all of those risks are are manageable and and that is why we diversify by country within country by crop type Uh, we diversify by the source of water Uh, so we invest in irrigated properties and we invest in dry land properties Uh, and the last thing which we do is we diversify by the way we operate the assets Uh, so in terms of row crops, uh, so the US term for exchange-traded commodity crops, our approach really is to lease out um, those crop, land growing those crops, and think of that as a straight real estate play. But then in the case of higher value crops like permanent crops, uh, tree nuts, citrus, avocado, wine grapes, uh, we operate those assets. Um, And the reason why we operate those over and above row crops is we think there are a lot more opportunities to add value, uh, whereas in the case of exchange-traded commodity crops, it's difficult to add value. In permanent crops as well, you do have a significant biological component as well. So 
Diversification is key. If you're thoughtful about the way in which you invest and you invest through a manager or through people that have expertise in the sector, and to go back to the people that we have in the Westchester business, the people that make the investments that we have are agricultural people. They're very knowledgeable about farming, um, what's happening in, 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 the, in the sector, what's happening locally. It is possible to manage those risks in a way which uh, can bring comfort to an institutional investor. But if you want to deliver a consistent returns over time, you have to diversify. If you only invested in barley growing in Australia today, you wouldn't be too, too happy with, with how things looked. Conversely, if you only invested in soybean grown in the US in the last two years where there's been a US and Chinese trade war, you wouldn't be too pleased either. However, if you invest in Brazil, um, Brazilian agriculture is on track to the record year, record soybean exports, um, and that really has come at the expense of, of US um, soybean growing and exporting to China, of course, who are the largest player in that marketplace. One of the things that was brought up in the, the inquiry report was the need for better data on investment assets. Uh, something, I suppose, something along the lines of institutional investors and traditionally family-owned farming business, businesses not quite speaking the same language. Is, is that the case? And, and how are things progressing? I mean, keeping in mind the inquiry report came out late 2018. Yeah, so if we go back to the point I made about 85% of agriculture being in privately owned, family-oriented businesses, the, the objectives of a, a, a privately owned family business might be very different to those of a, an institution investor Agriculture, historically, there's been a vocational aspect to it, but that's changed significantly and continues to change as you get consolidation in the sector. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's generally an environment of business that really requires resilient um, operations and consolidation is, is leading us towards more prof professional businesses who can deal with some of the, the challenges that exist out there. Those professional businesses are much more minded towards monitoring what they're doing in a more typical way that we would associate with an investment uh, industry. So looking at return on capital, um, looking at the way they're performing financially in a much more sophisticated way, whereas I think historically things like are we making enough money to have a decent existence? Are we able to send the the children to the, the school that we want to send them. Those sort of things have been more relevant maybe, but agriculture is becoming more professional as it consolidates. And the gap between um, the type of information that comes out of the sector and, and what is required from an institutional investor is, is closing, but undoubtedly um, there are things which are making a, a, a big impact in that respect. And of course, data is one of those things um, the availability of data, the analysis of that data, and that is improving significantly. So I don't think that's a reason that I would be uh, concerned or I would uh, be cautious about investing in the sector because there are sufficient professional businesses out there um, who are looking at what they're doing in a way that an institutional uh, investor would, 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 would recognise as being appropriate. 
the, the inquiry kind of found that there was good levels of foreign investment from particularly Canadian pension funds investing in Australian agriculture. So clearly there's value here. Can you explain out perhaps why there's hesitation from Australian funds? Is it merely, as you've sort of said, along the lines of risk or not understanding the risks? Yeah, I'd, I'd point to a, a few things, Terrell. Uh, so there's been in certain situations not a great history with um, investment in the agricultural sector in Australia. So there's been one or two listed vehicles which maybe haven't performed particularly well historically. There's been one or two um, managed investment trust schemes which haven't been um, that great in performance. Uh, so I think that brings a caution to the mindset um, of your domestic investors in, in Australia, whether they be retail or institutional, that experience and having seen what's happened over time. The other thing which I think is relevant is you're in Australia, you have an intimate understand, understanding of the volatility of climate, drought, wildfires, whatever it is. So maybe that brings a caution as well. I don't know that that same level of caution exists with, with outside investors and that might just simply be because of, because of the uh, lack of experience. Um, but to an outside investor, what do they see in, in, in Australia? They see the opportunity to achieve scale and for an institutional investor who has significant amount of capital to deploy, um, scale is really important. You can't build up a farmland portfolio by buying um, farms which are valued at one to two, two million dollars. It has to be scalable. Um, Australia has unparalleled rule of law, uh, robustness of title, and these are all things which bring a positivity from an investment point of view. But I think the caution domestically maybe is just from some things that have, that have happened in the past uh, and that, that experience which just brings a little bit of trepidation on, on, on investing, whereas outside investors don't necessarily see that. If you also look at this uh, from the point of view of what other locations that you can you invest in um, from an outside investor point of view, investing in scale, well, of course, that's possible in Brazil. But if you look at Australia versus Brazil and some of the challenges that exist from an investment point of view, whether they be political risk, whether they be around concerns in the environment, deforestation, Australia, if you look globally, really is a very attractive destination. And that's why it has attracted capital from um, some of the, the large Canadian investors, but Euro European investors um, as well. And, and of course, they just don't have the optionality to really invest in, 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 their, in their local market. So th that to me would be some of the reasoning and, and, and the caution. I do believe that that is going to change. Um, farmland as an investment, agriculture as, as, a, as an investment is very attractive and um, nothing like the current pandemic environment reminds us that historically agricultural returns have had very low volatility. Um, if you look at them in a diversified sense, um, strong returns and low volatility, which it, it's a very attractive investment where all other uh, sectors have really had a pretty tough time in the last four months and there's been a significant downward movement in, in values and returns. I think another area for opportunity that often doesn't get talked quite as strongly alongside ag investment is the ancillary 
uh, investment opportunities such as agri-bio and agricultural technology. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? What what are the kind of opportunities? Yeah, there, there's, there are huge opportunities across all parts of the, the agricultural sector. And if you think about the agricultural sector and we think about the whole agricultural supply chain um, right away from producing the inputs, seed technology, right the way to the, the preparing things for consumer use. It's a very broad investment area. Um, so undoubtedly today where we are in, in already well into a data revolution in agriculture, there are a lot, lots of opportunities to invest in technology, whether that be um, in seed technology, whether it be um, in, in data processing and, and some of the systems around that, many places to invest. I think an important distinction to make here is if you think about the characteristics that you're looking for from an agricultural or farmland investment, most pension fund investors are looking for uh, a long-term investment which is going to produce reliable cash flows in the long term with very low volatility um, and, and it's an inflation hedge type investment um, and it's a good portfolio diversification. Now, investing in the closer you get to actual primary production, the production of the necessities of life, those characteristics are the strongest. As you move away from that and you move into processing, uh, you move into technology, it's more of a private equity type uh, investment. And I'm not saying that there aren't some very attractive opportunities but they are not necessarily going to bring the same characteristics that an investor maybe is looking for from an investment in, in agriculture. But sea technology, um, machinery technology, um, virtual reality, augmented reality, drones, blockchain sensors, remote sensors, um, 3D printing, um, robotics, those are all technologies uh, in the sector, which are, of course, investable, but the characteristics that you're going to get investing in a company that produces um, robotics for agriculture could be quite different to what you get from uh, investing in, in, in basic farmland. But there are undoubtedly some great opportunities across the sector. Uh, the World Bank say that the agricultural sector needs $80 billion of capital on an annual basis, um, there is no reason why a significant amount of that capital could not come from institutional and pension fund investors. A big part of, I suppose, agriculture investing is kind of investing to boost sustainability and efficiency, which then grows the sector, which grows investment outcomes. I do want to talk a little bit about what you've kind of termed the thematic aspect of investing in the sector. Well, to me, Terrell, there's, there's two clear themes here. So the first one, of course, is the one which is very well documented, and that's population growth, higher cal calorie consumption in uh, developing countries. So 9.7 billion people by 2050. Uh, by 2050, less than 3% of global population are going to consume less than 2,500 calories a day. Today, that's 35% of the population. So the agriculture sector needs to double what it, it, can, it produces today um, over the next 50 years. So 
that is a pretty compelling theme, whichever way you care to look at it. And of course, there's going to be disruptors um, there. There's going to be more of a move to plant protein. There's going to be vertical farming. There's going to be synthetically produced protein from root enzymes, whatever it is. So disruption. But there's a fundamental thing there, which is very attractive. The second thing, which to me doesn't get documented and talked about nearly as much, um, and that really is agriculture and climate change. Really where it's been talked about most of all in recent times is that agriculture's negative impact on climate change. The IPCC report uh, of last year said that 26% of greenhouse gas emissions are down to agriculture. Um, Okay, half of that has come about through land use change, so deforestation and so on, uh, but half of it comes from um, the actual agricultural activity. So there is very little talk about the fact that agriculture can be one of the things to combat climate change. And if we think about sequestration of carbon in soil, um, that is a major means of um, halting climate change. So farmers changing practice, uh, more of a regenerative agricultural approach, um, zero till, growing cover crops, um, reducing input usage and so on, that can have a very significant impact on, um, on, on, on climate change. So that doesn't get talked about. And that to me is, is a is a theme that undoubtedly is going to be attractive from an investment point of view going forward. So people immediately think about timber uh, when when you talk when they think about carbon sequestration. Uh, but when you're growing crops, they are taking a significant amount of carbon out of, of the atmosphere. And if we can put that crop residue back into the soil, and we can grow cover crops between the the, the, the actual crops that we're growing, which are going to return. Um, carbon to the soil. That's a very interesting theme. We're at the infancy of this and there are one or two locations where people are starting to monetize that carbon sequestration factor, but there undoubtedly is a significant opportunity there. Um, When you start thinking about natural capital as well, which to me is just an extension of that carbon theme, um, water quality, biodiversity, ecosystem services so value for uh, the general public and the taxpayer associated with the way land is managed uh, those are all things where value is it will come into the sector when we talk about farmland values historically all we think about is what can i produce from this land what value does that have and how does that drive land value we've never thought about some of the other things which are relevant. So those natural capital aspects will in the future have, have, have a value. And that's why, to me, there's two parts to that thematic investment uh, in farmland. Okay, so to finish up, what does the next 10 years look like in the agriculture investing space? So I did a, a, a webinar last night uh, with Nuffield scholarships and uh, and Nuffield is an organization which tries to build capacity and leadership um, in the agricultural sector. A number of our investment structures actually that sponsor Nuffield scholars. And I said to the audience in the webinar that to me, agriculture is one of the, the most exciting um, industries to be involved in and to look towards a career in 
um, in, in, in the next 10, 15, 20 years, goes back to some of the themes uh, that I talked about earlier. We're, we are in a, in a situation where we are faced with many, many challenges, um, climate change, resource use, and, and we have this massive increase in demand for, for, for food, uh, agricultural production. So um, capital is needed to come into the sector to facilitate some of the changes that need to take place to enable us to achieve that critical requirement. So we, we, we've had four months of unparalleled disruption and environment that we could never imagine. But one of the things that's stayed consistent is um, if you look at pricing of um, foodstuffs, um, commodity prices admittedly dipped at the start of the pandemic, but really have recovered and have stayed pretty stable. Agriculture is a critical industry, um, and that means that there are going to be some fantastic opportunities from an investment point of view. Uh, we need to produce more with less. We need to produce more in a way which is more forgiving on the environment. And also we need to produce more in a way that, that minimizes the impact on the atmosphere, climate and so on. Um, so there are many, many opportunities that exist um, in agriculture because of that. So I think it's a very exciting uh, business to be in. And, and, and undoubtedly that will offer investors some very interesting opportunities over the next 10 years or so. What are we going to see coming out of uh, the pandemic we are going to see more consolidation in the agricultural sector, and that comes about because of generational transfer. You're going to see businesses get more sophisticated, probably get larger, have more power in the supply chain. But the consumer, ultimately, which drives what we do, is going to be more focused on sustainability, uh, provenance of what they're eating. So the pandemic has brought a closer connection to health, and nutrition, where's my food coming from? How is it impacting me? So we've seen growth in things like organic farming, so functional foods, things which are, uh, have characteristics to them, which are enhancing from a health point of view. So I'm just giving random examples of many of the things which exist, which make um, it a very exciting sector uh, to be involved in and, and to invest in. And, and for the investors that are willing to, commit the time to understand the sector, there are, it is going to offer up some very, very interesting and compelling opportunities um, over the next 10 to 15, 15 years. That's all for this edition of the Super Talk podcast. Thank you for listening in. And of course, thank you to Martin Davies and everyone at Westchester and Nuveen. Until next time, bye for now. <laughs>